Hello, everyone. Welcome to this bonus episode of the We Are Children's Division uh, podcast. Uh, I am here with uh, our producer, uh, communications guru, Ashton Kiever. How are you today, Ashton? I'm great, Daryl. Thanks for introducing me. Yeah, I told her I'm going to make her talk, and I'm just going to make her talk because she just comes up with great questions, has great ideas, and and I, I would like to publicly say thank you to her because she's just done a great job of getting these podcasts going and, and having us uh, have great episodes and great topics. And one of the things that Ashton suggest, suggested, which I thought was really great, was to introduce uh, our new leadership here to everyone uh, by having a special podcast for each of them, because we've got three deputy directors and they're all really new. I mean, we have new leadership here, a real new change in direction. And so I thought that's a great idea. Let's do that. And then we tried to schedule it and we tried to schedule it and we tried to schedule it. (laughs) Right, Ashton? How how, how many emails did we send back and forth? I would wager above 20. Yeah. So it, it, it wasn't happening correctly. But anyway, now we have one. We finally have found a space in our schedule where the planets align and my schedule and Ashton's schedule matched up with one of the deputy director's schedules so that we could sit in my office and have a conversation. So the first of the deputy directors uh, to, uh, to be introduced to all of you is Angie Swarns, our Deputy Director of Permanency. Yay, Angie! All right, so it's just, it's just great to meet you. By the way, before, before, uh, before we get started, just to embarrass Angie, I, I came on here at Children's Division. I had the opportunity to have conversations with everyone. I mean, a lot of people know I did. I, I, I talked with each of our regional directors and our field support managers and circuit managers. I, I had conversations with everybody. Angie, from the beginning, has been such an encouragement and such a fount of wisdom and knowledge and thoughtfulness uh, that I can't express my appreciation to you enough, Angie, for having made anything, any good thing I have done possible because you, you've been that for me. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Daryl. And thank you. Thank you for being here. So uh, this is an opportunity for everybody to get to know you. And so we were joking beforehand about the things I was going to ask you, like, you know, your shoe size, the name of your dog. Uh, what kind of car you drive, none of, none of that. But uh, I'm not going to do any of that, really. But what I really would like to do is to give you a chance just to introduce yourself. So why don't you talk about sort of how did you get here? How did you get from, from your life, growing up and whatever, how did you get to Children's Division in Missouri? How did, how did you get here? Well, thank you, Daryl, and thank you, Ashton, for being here today. I had lunch with Ashton yesterday, and so um, I just feel really blessed to get to spend two days in a row with you. Thanks. Um, I am not originally from Missouri. I don't know if either of you know that, but I'm actually from Washington State. Um, I met my husband in college. We went to school in Idaho, and my husband is from Nevada, Missouri. So we ended up back here where his family is. And it's just been um, a really blessed life. I've been in Missouri for almost 30 years. I have worked for Children's Division for 28 years. I started my career as a frontline worker in Jasper County. I worked in alternative care, carried a caseload of uh, young young children, and uh, I, actually then the caseload kind of grew into teenage children, and at the time uh, had a great workforce there at a time when we didn't have a lot of turnover, but we had a lot of kids in care that stayed in care for a long time, way before ASPA came along, um, so I've been with the agency for a really long time. 
I you're been, older than I, ASPA. I am That's older than ASPA. There are people in our agency who are not older than ASPA. Hey, by the way, for those of you who don't know, ASPA is the Adoption and Safe Families Act. It's the most misnamed piece of legislation ever. But at any rate, it's... But, yes. but I've lived through it. So, right? I, I, get, right. I got to see the onsite of it and it's still here. So with that, I became a supervisor in Jasper County, moved into the role of a specialist, uh, broadening my experience outside of Jasper County at that time. I then came back as circuit manager, went into being a field support manager and a regional director for the last nine years. Having said that, that's a lot of time in the Southwest region. So I have spent the first 90 days of this new position getting out and going places. I spent a couple of days in Jackson County. I got to meet uh, an amazing group of staff there, spent a lot of time with their permanency attorneys, with their new employees, with their case aides just really hearing great things about how they have continued the work during times of some low staffing and some challenges that we haven't always had to face in our agency. I then spent some time in St. Louis, got to meet again some great staff, some more great case aides, and just really amazing managers and staff that have been just so resilient during challenging times. I I'm really familiar with the Southwest and the Southeast. I have to give a shout out to, of course, Pam Alston and the Southeast team. We have always had some healthy competition between the Southwest and the Southeast. So stepping away from that has been different for me because I'm really used to being around people all the time. And this new role is not so much about being around those, those normal or those comfortable relationships. So that part of this role is new for me. I'm looking forward to my time. I've got some upcoming visits scheduled in Kyle's region up in the Northeast, and I'll be scheduling a time with Chris in the Northwest. So geographically, that'll cover the whole state, but I um, really my new position is more about the program work, and I've just had a more amazing experiences with that recently. In talking about spending time with Ashton yesterday, I got to spend the day at the Capitol with our older youth for Child Advocacy Day. And I just have to say, if you need a reboot or something to charge your energy, spend a day with your older youth. I thought you were going to say spend a day with Ashton. Because <laughs> I would love that, honestly. You like, know, let's just, all get a road show together. Just just a little time in Ashton in our office doing the podcast gets you That's encouraged. Right. So I can't imagine what a full day would do for you. It is, as long as somebody else <laughs> is carrying the camera bag. Because that bag was really heavy looking. <laughs> it was really heavy. And I have to tell you... Um, Ashton can outrun some security. If, really? Yeah, they, they might let her not so take you, pictures. So you folks were running from security. Well, maybe. Okay. Maybe. But I just, um, I look for things every day to recharge my battery. Um, things that really keep your investment and your focus on what's really important and why we're here. So right out of the box, uh, you've been going out into the field and meeting with people and talking to them. That is... Uh, not that is not the culture that I discovered when I came here. It was very top down, and people here were here, and people out there were out there. And so, uh, you you still spend a lot of your time in Joplin, right? You're yes. still in the mm-hmm. southeast a lot, so uh, southwest a lot. So uh, I, I take it it's, it's part of, part of your plan is to continue to to travel and to see people and to be in offices and find out what folks need, right? It is. I think we know that there's a difference between metros and rural areas, right? But I think there's so much more of a difference just county to county that we tend to overlook. And having spent the majority of my time in one place, it's really important that I see the full 46 circuits and not just the 11 that I was so used to. 
Well, I'll tell you, it's been powerful for me because I've, I've visited every circuit and I'm still going out and visiting circuits and you find out new stuff. You learn things. You discover what people are dealing with and, and build those relationships where people can feel like they can talk to you and contact you. And, you know, you're, you're, you're in charge of a, a very important functions of the agency and you're, you're out there doing it. So thank you for, thank you for getting out early and, and doing all that. So did you study this in college or did you, where'd you go? Where'd you go to college? <laughs> Um, I did an associate's degree at Ricks College in Rexburg, Idaho, which is now BYU-Idaho. I did my bachelor's at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, <laughs> and I did my master's at Pitt State in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Which is right across the... <laughs> right across the border from... Right across the border from Joplin. She's been everywhere. Yes. So uh, did you always think you would do this, or did you think you would do something else? No, I thought I was going to be a teacher, Oh, Angie, you look like a teacher. <laughs> I, I was going to be a teacher. If you've ever been to a meeting, like I like to make things. I like to be. I love to make bulletin boards. Like I love a good scrapbook, a good bulletin board. Um, I'm now into like you know the silhouette cricket type of stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. So how did that go off track? How is it? How is it that you're not, you know, using a dry erase board somewhere? How did that go off? How did you wind up at CD? How, what made What made yeah. you do that? Well, I told you I moved to Missouri because that's where my husband is from. And I started working at a Sea Star program in Nevada, Missouri. And Sea Star is really hard work. And we know this because of the work we do with families and addictions. And it's really hard work. And if you've come from a family where there's been addiction, it can be even harder. And that was that was my situation. Um, my dad struggled with addiction and it really impacted my life. So I was coming home from work one day and a neighbor girl said, Hey, have you taken the state test? Cause at that time you had to take a state test to get on the register that might get you an inter an interview in a County that you picked out on a bubble sheet. And I wasn't from Missouri, so I didn't know what counties to pick on the bubble sheet. And I picked Jasper County because it was South of um, Vernon County where um, we lived at the time. And I got a letter for an interview. I interviewed a month before my oldest daughter was born. I started oh, wow. with the agency being very pregnant, and um, I I just walked into Children's Division and knew I would be working with families, but I didn't really know much beyond that. So how? So you've seen a lot, and again, we we joked about being prior to the adoption of Safe Families Act. I was practicing law uh, prior to the adoption of Safe Families Act, so I actually you know have been around even longer than Angie. Uh, we. We've uh, seen a lot of things, right? What do you think is different now from when you started? I mean, how have things changed? You know, I mentioned the caseload that I had as a young worker. I would say that when I was a worker, permanency was being in foster care. There wasn't a lot of movement around even adoption. Guardianship was not ever heard of. Um, but reunification wasn't talked about. I felt like the cases I had came with file folders that exceeded 24 inches high, volume four, volume five was not uncommon. It was once a child was in care, they were in care and we did visits. It, it wasn't that there were major criminal things that prevented reunification, but there wasn't really a clear map to getting families back together. And, and how do you think that's changed over the years? What? I do think ASFA brought about the timeframes. It was all of a sudden we had more of a, of a goal, you know, a yard line that we were really looking at some of those measurements. I think um, CFSR, I know that that's what the last podcast focused on, really did bring about the federal requirements and what we needed to do to be in line with them. But I think over time, 
it's been a change just in how our agency views families and that we believe people can change. And I feel like abuse and neglect in the past, if it happened in your family, it was a label that stayed on you and there wasn't a recovery or a, a help or a change agent in that. And I think our agency has shown the value of families rather than staying just focused on what might have been referred to as the worst day of your life. Right. Yeah. So believing in change, I think, is a big part of it. Yeah. And believing in the, uh, the what our what our mission ought to be, which yes. is to help people. And certainly just taking a child and then warehousing that child through the rest of that child's childhood is not it. Right. right. That is that is the thing that ASPA did do for us. Is It, it, it said, get something done. I think it also created a partnership with the courts that it wasn't just on children's division to get something done. Those measurements went to the courts also. And did you, as a judge, get a report card if you were meeting? Yes, I I won awards, Angie, uh, for for timeliness. Uh, We got it it done. Uh, Well, because, because, you know, in Jefferson County, we took that seriously. And those... Time frames were time frames, and we were going to do them for real and not do anything to pretend to make make it up. And and those hearings, those review hearings, were for a purpose. They weren't just to check off a box. Uh, I've uh, I advocated from the beginning of those that well, I'll tell you, the judge who was there before me did not really have hearings at review hearings. The judge that was before me had had uh, everybody gather in the hallway and received all the forms uh, that we were all cajoled into signing. Uh, you, you know, and, and sent us on our way. I, I told everybody a hearing ought to be a hearing. We've got to, we've got to be asking central questions at these hearings that they say we should ask. Like, what's preventing this child from going home? If this child can't go home, oh, why not? And what do we do to change that? Uh, if if we're at if we're at that permanency stage, what is what is it we have to do to finish this case? If it's not done, why isn't it done? Those questions change everything. It moves. It moves things along, which is better for the child and for the family and for everybody else. And when the court takes that seriously, I think it makes a difference. Uh, when the court doesn't take it seriously, we do see what happens. So um, it varies from circuit to circuit, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It really does. So, so permanency. It's a word that I don't use very much because permanency seems awfully unpermanent, and it it, it seems like. It seems like we're really looking for stability or something else. But you're basically working on the on the on the back end of the system, right? And the things. What I'd really love to know that you've been here how long now? Uh, about ninety-five days. Ninety-five days. She's fixed it all <laughs> in ninety-five days. Well, you know what? The, at, at the beginning of a presidency, they say what you do in the first hundred days really matters. <laughs> oh, so, okay. so you've got the rest of the week to get something <laughs> Five done. More days. So, so get on it, Angie. Get it done. No, in, in all seriousness, what do you have going on in your areas? that excites you right now? What do you think? This is really cool. Wow. Okay, so... Nothing, it's all a mess. No, no. (laughs) No, for excitement, I... Oh, wow, where do I start? Uh, Foster care licensing and recruitment is one of the program areas in our unit, and we have exciting things just happening all the time in regards to our treatment foster care. Right. Um, New contracts going out, working on some additional resources for family members to also be able to have TFC training. And I know we're not supposed to talk in acronyms, so again, treatment foster care training, um, really to help stabilize placements and to prevent unnecessary residential placements. And to me, that is exciting because I want our youth to have as normal of a life as possible. And to me, that happens best in a family setting. So treatment foster care to me is a super exciting place where we're at. 
We continue to be doing a lot of work around our um, partnerships with our QRTPs and some of the new learning that we've been going through with our independent assessment. We have um, lots of work still happening around our Center for Healthcare Strategies partnership to work with our Department of Mental Health and Department of Health partners to also find the right placements and to prevent um, kids from staying in care that need either adult services or that might need services through the juvenile courts. And Angie, those would be the kids that I I get the emails. Okay, for those of you who are listening, I get your emails. (laughs) I read the emails. the, the kids in the offices, the kids we can't find placements for, right? The kids that are just, we're at a loss yes. as to where we can put them because because uh, the juvenile officer won't act on them and, and the Department of Mental Health, they don't fit there according to somebody and, and they get kicked out of a residential and they wind up in a hospital or in our office, right? I mean, that's a real, it's a real challenge for us right now. It has been, and I, I really have come to appreciate the partnerships that have been here to support us in that. We have developed great relationships with Division of Youth Services over the past several years. In the past, we had probably had more co-custody cases with Division of Youth Services, and that changed over the past um, couple of years. But what it brought forth to us is Division of Youth Services opened up their day treatment programs so that we could have kids in care that might live with a foster home or a relative home, but they could go and access day treatment services through DYS during the day. And so when you think about like excitement, those partnerships that share families with us and that can share resources, they've also been able to help us bridge gaps, um, not just during their day treatments, but for also some of their night and family groups that they'll open up to us for our kids. So that takes away the burden on us for always having to be the answer for these um, problems or these lack of placements that we've had. I would also say that we've had just amazing opportunities for our older youth recently. Ashton and I, again, spent the day yesterday at Child Advocacy Day. And Daryl, I so wish you could have been there because we had over 100 people total. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them were chaperones, but the majority of them, I would say 80 plus were youth. In fact, I know it was more than 80 kids that had signed in Mm -hmm. for lunch and they were amazing. And they are, oh my gosh, they have, they have it like put together. They are working on a proposal to become like Delaware. Okay, Daryl, there's some states you've always wanted us to strive to be like. The youth want to be like Delaware. They want to see a bill come in that will give them additional help with education and year-round housing. You know, moving your daughters in and out of school. Right. Um, they need that year-round housing because they don't necessarily have a place to go between semesters or Christmas break or in the summer. So they are taking charge. They are going to make it happen, and we need to be here to support them in doing that. Well, I'll tell you what. I know that you made a great impact over there uh, at the Capitol yesterday because one of my a good friend of mine, a legislator, came over to came over to my uh, little apartment for for dinner last night and just could not stop talking about, you know, these youth that he saw there, uh, the things that they said. He had not planned on being there. He just happened to go down to, to someplace to get some water or something. And this was going on. And he says, and once he got there, he could not leave uh, because it was so impressive. And it was so, for lack of a better word, just neat and inspiring. And so uh, 
if any of our older youth are listening, uh, you're, you're, you inspired a legislator, which is not always an easy thing to do. Uh, and that's very powerful. It's very good. I'd have to agree. It was really inspiring. And um, like, I, it might have been you, Angie, that I was talking to when I said it was just so cool to see these kids, these high schoolers or like really early college students just taking charge of the room mm-hmm. and, and saying, this is what's going to happen. This is what we want. Or like getting the whole group's attention and just like controlling the room. Um, I cannot say that that's something that I would have been able to do at 17 or 18 years old. I sure would have wanted to, but I don't think that I would have done it with quite as much grace and charisma as they did. Um, and I left so impressed with those um, young young students. Like, they just really blew me away. They are. They are amazing. We had two youth yesterday that will be going to Foster, Star, Foster, Foster Care All-Stars in July out in Seaside, Oregon. And we've traditionally sent one youth a year, but this year we just had two amazing youth. Couldn't narrow it down, so we're sending two. Um, and then our state youth advisory board co-chair and chair, because she's filling two positions right now, she was organizing the youth and very articulate. It was yes. um, it was also a moment when I thought about how vulnerable they had to be to be there yesterday. Right. And how powerful that is, that they're willing to share their own stories um, with strangers to make a difference for somebody else as well as themselves. And that really struck that that hit me hard. Ashton and I were talking about where we exhausted yesterday. It was really an emotionally exhausting, but an emotionally impactful day. Well, there Absolutely. was a, there was a time when being in foster care had great stigma uh, attached to it. Nobody wanted to admit it, and people would hide it. And I think that uh, through a lot of education and a lot of awareness, that's going away. And I think just the idea that that folks feel like they can stand up and say, this is where I am, this is what I'm going through, and this is what I think we need is healthy. I think, it, I think it's a healthy culture shift that is, you know, good to hear. It is. And I would agree with the same with being a foster parent. I don't right. think in the past we saw foster homes um, as a well-respected maybe career. And I think now, especially with social media, we see foster families out there and I think they're a role model for taking care of children and for building families and for strengthening families. We've had, again, during our CFSR interviews over the past couple of weeks, we got to interview some foster families or what we call resource homes to ask them, what do they need from us um, to help support the placements? And they are talking about the partnerships they're doing with birth families so that children will have an easier transition back home. Or if they've gone through something, they're involving the parents to go to doctor's appointments or counseling appointments or school programs or sporting events to make this a healthy transition and not something that somebody's ashamed of. That to me is also another area that I would say something I'm really proud of seeing right now. That's very awesome. It is really cool. We've um, heard a little bit of that through the foster care podcasts that we've done. Um, uh, so if you're listening, reunification month is in June and that's going to be a really cool foster care, um, the call to foster podcast there. They spoke to a bio mom and foster parent from the same case who actually became such good friends that they do everything together. Now their family has kind of all merged together into this like unit where they, they have like Christmases together and 
the foster, the previous foster children are sitting at the same table with the previous foster parents and the bio mom. They've just, it, it was a really, really cool interview. And um, so shameless plug there. Well, any shameless plugs for something like that, Ashton, <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, because that's when it's done right. Mm-hmm. When, when it, in a completely selfless way, a foster parent says, I'm here for everybody. I'm here for this child. And in being here for this child, I'm also here for this child's mom. And we're going to do this together. And, you know, and so that that, that whole competition and, and, uh, all that conflict is is not there. It's it's a more of a collaboration and, and a friendship. That's yeah. a powerful thing. Yeah, it was it was really neat. So, what else is happening in your area? You think you think we ought to know about anything else? Is, are those um, the big those the big ticket items? You think we talked about older youth. Of course, we have the um, psychotropic medication. We continue to monitor, and we appreciate all the work our staff do to keep up with. That data entry, we we are I'm accountable for making sure we're meeting some measures there. That's been a lot of work. We have um, been working to increase some of our contracted case management cases to help offset some of the caseload sizes that our staff have been experiencing. I um, I think with our licensing and then our staff that are dedicated to building our court relationships and working with our youth that might be at high risk to run. I think that's a pretty busy unit. It's a very busy unit. I think that's and a it's, pretty it, busy. Girl. It's a very, it's very, it's a very important tasks and very important areas. Now, what I'd like to do, sort of as a back into this, and how long this goes, I don't know. I don't know, Ashton. By the way, we're not very scripted, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> uh, what I'd like, what I'd like to talk about with you, because uh, I, I think it's a big part. I, I got to, I got to choose this person for this position. I will, I will, I will take absolute credit for it. Uh, that Angie Swarns is, is sitting here and it's based on among other things, among other, all, all kinds of other criterion, but just, just good solid vision of where we ought to go and what we ought to be and what we should be about. And, and, you know, we increased uh, with between, between Angie and Tiffany and Danielle, all of whom we will eventually have a podcast with, about, uh, you know, we increased the amount of field experience in this office by many, many decades, right? We really did. And it's, 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 I think it's a great thing. So, so part of the, when, when this opportunity came to put Angie in this place, it's like, wow, somebody with not only that experience, but the vision of what we should do. So if you have just a broad vision for what children's division should be and where we should go, what is it? You know, Daryl, when we first talked about this, I had like this number I wanted to see our LS1 population get down to. That's our legal status one kids. Ashton, that's how we that's how we talk in our language, okay? That's okay. okay. What does like, give me a little what is legal status one? That entail? means they are in the custody of children's division. Got it. Okay. I had a number that I thought would make us better. But as I've really been in this and I've listened to some of the situations. I really think it comes back to engaging our families. Right. And it comes back to probably, not probably, definitely engaging our families before children come out of the home. And if we do this, Daryl, I could pretty much work myself out of a job. Right. And I can't imagine anything better than that. If we could really engage families and put the supports in the families, I have raised my hand like a crazy woman wanting to give birth families, some of the services we've been able to give foster families. 
if we could put those behavioral services or those case managers in that home, because we know, Daryl, that our kids want to go home. Right. They want to be with mom and dad. And we have to recognize that so that we don't cause more trauma to them. Well, and if I can interrupt there, the, the part of the reason that 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 field experience matters is I, I told people, I want folks who have actually talked to these children like I have, both as a guardian ad litem and as a judge. I asked them all, if I could wave a magic wand and have anything happen, what would it be? And they all said, minus what I could count on one hand, I want to go home. I wish you'd never come here. I wish it were something different. You know, uh, that's that that's what we hear. That's what we hear. And I told people, yeah, I want I want people who have actually seen uh, people cry over what we've done to them, uh, and 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 have cried with them. You know, that that have, having had that experience, understand the grief of this, and understand that we need to be sure, right, that we're doing things that are helping and not hurting. And, you know, not everybody, not everybody who hasn't seen the field would understand it. Right. You know, it's so true. And when we talked yesterday to some young girls um, at the Capitol, one of them came from a sibling group of nine or she had eight siblings. She was one of nine and she has no contact with any of them. And prone rights have been terminated on both of her parents. And the only relative is that she could identify was in California and I feel like we have failed, our system has failed to give her any supports. And what will happen when she leaves care? Who will she go home to for the holidays? Who will show up at her graduation? Do, do, do you think she'll go try to find her biological parents? I believe um, her dad is probably deceased from what she shared with us. Yeah. I don't, I, I also was led to believe probably not with her mom. Yeah. But um, the siblings that had been adopted by other people, I felt that she was still mourning that loss of that connection. And the other young lady was the youngest of six. And it was very clear that she knew where they were, but wasn't allowed contact. Mm -hmm. And if we can't help strengthen those relationships or find healthy ways for those relationships to happen, well, I just think it, it can't be a we can't. We have to find the way to that. I told you earlier, I had a word for this year called figure outable. <laughs> and it's, we've got to figure this out. And we have to listen to these experiences so that we can find that map to get there. Right. You know, and I'm going to add on to that. Um, after we had sat at lunch, we did some more interviews with foster foster kids. And there was a question that we were asking was, how did your foster parent help you maintain contact with your biological family, whether that's siblings or parents, grandparents, whatever. And there were a couple who just said, I can't answer that because they didn't. And that broke my heart for them because some of them, you could see the pain in their eyes when they said that. And, um, but on the other side of it, when they had a foster parent that was willing to nurture that relationship and connection and they were in foster parenting, not to just be a parent to that kid in the time that they needed it, but also a mentor to their family when they needed it. It was such a different story. They would light up and they'd say, actually, it was so great. I, I was able to talk to my brother on FaceTime every day or whenever I needed to. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was eye-opening, to say the least. 
Yeah, and it's it comes down to treating to treating people like people, and to understand that they're not just they're not just numbers. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about numbers around here. I talk about the number of kids in foster care. Angie and I have had conversations about the number of kids in foster care. Why? Because Missouri's got double what we ought to have if we were at the national average. And all the experts tell us the national average is double what it ought to be. And so, and we've got some circuits that are double the Missouri average. So, you know, you start thinking, oh my gosh, how are we doing this? The, the issues, it comes down to who those families are, right? And the pains that they experience and the disconnections that they have. And, and how do we, how do we manage that? Right. And so, you know, when I hear Angie, when I, when I hear you say, you know, how can we, how can we avoid this from happening at all? It sounds like to use the medical analogy that I use a lot, you're talking about, could we, could we treat the issues we have like outpatient care, right? Instead of taking everybody to the hospital you know, can we can we do this in a least restrictive way we can in a way that maintains the connections and 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 uh, causes less trauma for people, I guess, is yeah. what I'm what I'm hearing from you. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. I would add to that for our staff that work so hard. Um, there are things that happen uh, just in your normal day. And Ashton, this might not sound normal to you, but we've I in my office in Joplin, I'm on the other side of a wall from where parents and children have visits. So I can hear visits a lot of the time. And at the end of most visits, if it's a young child, the child starts to cry, probably throws a tantrum, um, gets really emotional. And the stress of that on a worker just can drain you, right? You're taking a, a crying child away from their parent. And early on, I think that was really viewed as, well, maybe we need to stop visits. This is really traumatic for the child. Oh, no. But now we have to talk about that is because of the bond there. And what can we do to help continue this bond, not pull it further away? So when I think about things that are moving us forward, you asked some of the things about what has changed over time. Those are some of those indicators where we have to recognize the trauma that it is rather than labeling it as something else that might be easier to ignore or to find reason to not move forward on. But that trauma piece has become a really big part of our work. Understanding that trauma has, um, I think, really shifted our practice as well. Right, right. So uh, for those of you listening out there who did not know Angie, I can't imagine anybody not knowing Angie, but there are people in the agency that didn't know Angie. I think just listening to this, you get an idea why, uh, exactly why she's sitting in her space where she is, because she's got the she's got the right heart and she really cares about this stuff and she's done great work and been a great help to me. Uh, you've really, uh, to the degree we've made project, you know, progress, um, I, you just, I just can't say enough about the contribution that Angie's made to this agency in the short time that I've been there and the support and help that you've given to me. So Thank it's, you, Darryl. it's been very great. So as we get ready to close this, are we getting ready to close this Ashton? I actually had one last question, which might actually be a good one to wrap on. Um, so earlier in the podcast, probably one of the first things you said was you try to do something every day to recharge your battery. This might be an opportunity for you to recharge some other batteries. Um, when you think back to your time, uh, especially earlier on in your career, you know, you were working in, on the front line, so to say, with families and children directly. Can you think of a, a time, a specific story where you knew you were in the right place, the right career, something that impacted you so much that you're here now with us? There. 
and there are way too many of those moments, um, way too many of those moments, I would say that when you answer a phone call and you know the voice on the other side of the phone and you can walk through a situation, whether, regardless of what it is, there's so many that flood my um, emotions immediately, but it's, um, it's a really humbling feeling when you can help somebody because you've walked a journey with them that other people haven't. And um, a lot of times those are pretty traumatic situations and they're very, very, they're just really difficult. But when you can see somebody overcome something, whether that's a relapse, whether that's a critical incident, and sometimes it's with an employee, sometimes it's with a family, sometimes it's with a child, but those are the moments when you know you've answered that phone, you've answered that call or that text, and you were the right person at that moment. It's, um, it's so rewarding. And um, I think it's so important to keep your battery charged by taking care of yourself so that you're there to answer that in those moments. Absolutely. Wow. Well, thank you, Angie. And I think, you know, all of you, here's what I would encourage you to do. Uh, if you've listened to this podcast, uh, share it with a friend, share it with the other folks out there, because what you got to know is that those phone calls that you get, like the one Angie just described, happen to you every day. You're making a difference every day and you can do this and you can and you can make it through and you can make a difference. And who knows, some decades from now, you might be sitting up here with some other director being a deputy director of the division and, sh and sharing those kind of stories with other people. And when you have done it, you will have impacted thousands of lives. So thank you, Angie, for all you've done. Thank you out there to all of you for all you do. And uh, thank you, Ashton, for another great podcast. And we will see you next time uh, on, the, uh, on the We Are Children's Division podcast. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Listen to more episodes of this podcast or our newest podcast, The Call to Foster, wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help us reach and inspire more Missourians. Thanks for listening.